and welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts, companion to the primary care excellence work which has been created for all primary care staff in Greater Manchester. I'm Lynn Marsland. If you've missed any episodes, you can go back and download them anytime from wherever you already get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your colleagues so as many people as possible hear the series. Today I'm joined by two managers who work on the front line of primary care in general practice. Debbie Beals is the operations officer with oversight of three medical practices in Manchester. Her colleague Stacey Simpson works at practice level within the leadership team. Welcome Debbie and Stacey and thank you for taking time out of your very busy days to share some of your experiences and thinking about working in general practice. Debbie, maybe we can start by understanding a bit more about your role, how the team came into being and how long you've been working together. Of course, thanks Lynn. Yeah, we've been working together for about two and a half years now. We work across three practices in North Manchester and together they make almost sort of 25,000 patients. So it's a fairly large organisation. And what that allows us to do is have a management team as opposed to just a practice manager, which very often practices only have sort of the practice manager and, and the partners, which can make it quite an isolated role. We're very lucky where we have a team of people who work together within that leadership team. So there's myself and Stacey who's here and we sort of run the day-to-day. Stacey overlooks Cheetah Man Queens and runs the day-to-day practice. I look over three practices and do a more strategic role. So I can take on some of the projects that practice managers don't always get the chance to do. They desperately want to do it and can see that things need doing. But when you're dealing in firefighting day-to-day, you don't always get that opportunity. So the role was developed specifically for myself to help with that. And when we see these projects and see these things that we want to do, I can then take that on and run these projects alongside the practice managers. We also have Mike Neville and Asad Bakari are the two sort of partners within those businesses. And so they are very sort of high level strategic. Mike does looks at all the business side of things, all the business development. He's also the practice manager at one of the sites. And Dr Bakari is a partner across all three. So they're the sort of high level decision making people. And we've also developed a sort of third tier within our leadership roles, within our leadership team recently, where we've put in two new supervisors across the two different sort of administration departments. So we have Jodie, who runs our clinical support team, and Ashley, who runs our data quality team. And so we now have a really robust leadership team. And what that's done is that's helped with us being able to cope as a management team because we have that support. We're not isolated like very many practice managers might be. And so, yeah, that's kind of where we are and where we've been up until now. Debbie, there's some interesting things that you've just highlighted in that bit of background for us. You were talking about firefighting and how isolating it can sometimes be, managing the workloads. And I think when we think about our own health and well-being and that of our staff, we know that resilience is very often talked about and it's seen almost as 
compulsory, if that's the <laughs> uh, if that's the right word to use when coping with all of these kinds of pressures. Tell us a bit about the fact that you've now got this team, which sounds, you know, a great way of working. How do you work together on that resilience, health and well-being element? I think the fact that we have each other is the main thing. So we tend to remove ourselves from the working environment on a regular basis. I'm going to say the working environment, I don't mean the building, but we go to a quiet room and we will sort of debrief on situations that have caused us sort of stress or anxiety or are causing us stress and anxiety, you know, looking forward in the future. Very often when you're alone, you worry about things and that can be quite detrimental to not only our well-being, but the well-being of our staff as well, because that comes across to the staff if you're anxious about something and aren't dealing with it as well as you might. So to have a sounding board is a really important thing. We're quite lucky because we share an office together as well. So if we are feeling under stress or anything, we just turn around and talk to each other. So that's quite useful as well. Absolutely. And I think that's the key. It's the sounding board. We can debrief on stressful situations and issues as well and look back and sort of say, right, what did we do that we could change the next time and how well did we deal with that? And, you know, did we put that across to the staff as well as we might have done and, and could we have done anything any better? And that way we can sort of build strategies going forward so we can kind of look and go, right... This is what happened the last time. Here's what we did well. Here's what we didn't do so well. And what can we change going forward? And actually, what can we continue doing that we're doing already that's working? And that happens, as Stacey rightly says, in small teams. So her and I do that just verbatim throughout the day. But we also have regular meetings with other people in the leadership team to allow them to do the same thing. And then we sort of have a weekly meeting with us all together to try and not only talk about important things, but actually make sure we're all OK. So, Stacey, you mentioned there about having that opportunity to talk. And what would prompt you to talk about stress? What would you typically see going on around you, let alone what you're feeling, that might prompt you to have some of those discussions? I think body language is a big thing and if a member of staff is quite quiet, we've recently had a member of staff who's quite outgoing, they're bubbly and she was a bit quiet. So we just pulled her aside and was like, is everything okay? It's not like you to be quiet, you know, just head down. And then it came out that she has been having some issues and work was getting on top of it and she had some home life things going on as well. I think those little telltale signs of things that... Certainly throughout the past when I've been working with managers, they've said, if only I'd noticed that, I wouldn't have gone off sick or you could have made some other arrangements for them. So I think you've given a very good example. Yeah, and we look at um, sickness patterns and stuff and we have the Bradford score so we can see patterns of this member of staff going up, you know, at particular times of the week and stuff as well. And you, uh, I think you were going to share an example of recently that's been quite stressful for all of you. Yeah. Um, just a few weeks ago, we had a situation where basically we had no water in the building. It was a an area-wide issue. So, you know, a lot of houses in the area as well had no water. But what it meant was that if we had no water, we had to close the building. 
for two reasons. One, we couldn't see patients because the clinicians couldn't wash their hands in between and we couldn't make sure that infection control areas were being looked at properly. And also we had to look after our staff so there was no running water, there were no toilets, which was the biggest issue. And so it was one of those flux situations where it kept changing. So we were told that we were going to have water within two hours and so we kept the staff on site and luckily we had a restaurant chain across the road so we were sort of using their toilets for a while but as time went on we recognised that you know they were telling us we were getting water back and it wasn't happening and we were making plans and then the plans would change so it was really very stressful it was very stressful for the staff they didn't know what was happening they weren't sure how long we were going to be closed for our phones were still open so we still had to inform patients of what was going on Patients were becoming quite frustrated, as you can imagine. And so the staff were really stressed. Us as a management team, it was very difficult to manage because of the ever-changing situation of us making plans for one thing and it changing to something else. And in the end, we were three days without water. And because we are in a building that we don't own, we had to rely on outside sources in order to gain the things that we needed. So, yeah, I think what we did there was the fact that As a management team, we supported one another, so we weren't alone. It didn't fall to one person to sort everything out. We could work together, and we did that in a variety of ways. We communicated regularly. We sort of delegated out tasks. We made sure that we communicated as much as we possibly could, because it's all about sort of letting staff know what's happening as much as we could. As I say, we set deadlines and we checked in on one another regularly just to make sure that we were doing okay because it was just the unknown. I think that was the issue, the lack of control in the unknown. But having that support made sure that we could all get on with things. So we had to send staff to other buildings, which was stressful for the staff. So it was sort of trying to let them know how long that would last for and what would happen in that time. Some staff went home, some staff stayed so it was a real juggling act, but it was all about the communication, checking in on one another, making sure that what we knew was a, an extremely stressful situation could be managed as best as possible and also acknowledging the fact that we were all stressed out. It was difficult for everybody. Nobody had gotten away with it unscathed and the stresses were different for different people and recognising that and sort of addressing that with people. So what sort of feedback did you get from staff and from the partners about the way that that had been handled? Because it sounds frustrating, stressful, and then you've got to do all the picking up once you're getting back to normal and and obviously maintaining that support for patients. What sort of feedback did you get about your team? From the organisation, our partners were impressed with how the management team and the staff were on the day. We'd done our job really well. Um, We handled everything really well from the staff to the patients. We was redirecting patients to telephone consultations, driving them face-to-face. We was, like Debbie was saying, sending staff off to different sites. So we've got a branch surgery. So some staff went over there. We're lucky that we work very closely with the third practice, which is the Neville practice. So we sent staff off to that practice as well. And some staff were able to work from home. So, yeah, we had some really good feedback from partners and the staff. It was obviously frustrating at first, but overall we did what we could. Yeah, and I I think we we debriefed afterwards. So we sat down 
once everything had sort of calmed down and we, we got back and we sort of looked at what we did and, and we came up with things that we could have done better. Because mm-hmm. I think initially we were communicating through like WhatsApp and texts and things like that. And we recognised that that wasn't the best way because the time it was taken to text. So I was actually boots on the ground and I'm walking down corridors trying to text and things are changing as I'm texting and and we sort of recognised that and it would have been better. Mes- messages were getting missed as well, weren't they? Yeah. Um, because there's like three of us on this, four of us on this group. So Debbie had sent one thing, then we'd all send another. So Debbie's message weren't really getting seen. So it's like next time we need to have a quick FaceTime, Zoom, you know, Teams, whatever, just to make sure that everyone's understanding of what we need to do. I think what was really interesting with the staff was there were some staff that dealt with it very well. There were other members of staff that really struggled with it and had quite a an obvious reaction to all the stress and the changes. But afterwards, those members of staff who had that quite extreme reaction came back to us and sort of apologised and said, we recognise that you were actually in a really difficult situation as well and we didn't help that. And we reacted in a really negative way and we apologise for reacting in that way. And I think it's just allowing that and sort of saying, we understand why you reacted like that. We understand how difficult it was. And, you know, we don't hold that against you. It's one of these learning experiences that it's them recognising that we were doing everything that we could with the situation that we had. Because sometimes I think as managers, you forget that you're getting lots of information and different people within your organisation are only getting snapshots of that information. And so whilst we can see the big picture and we can see that we are doing everything we have, they can only see little snapshots. Mm -hmm. And human nature states that you look at your world and your little bubble and determine how you feel based on that. And it's sort of us as, as a management team understanding that and sort of trying to step back whilst you're in that chaos and sort of look at what other people are going through at the time because it's just very easy to just deal with each situation as you're dealing with it and not think how it's impacting everybody else. We talked a little bit before about recognising the signs of stress in others and, and you gave the example, Stacey, of somebody who is normally quite chatty, going quiet. What sort of other things do you recognise in your staff or in yourselves when stress is beginning to get a bit too much? Well, I know we may. I can, <laughs> I can get a bit, not snappy, but maybe... Short. Short, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can get quite short. I think there's there's a term that I've learned recently called empathy fatigue, where you give so much in our role, we are in our roles because we want to look after our patients and we want to look after our staff. And so you're giving all the time. And sometimes when you're under stress, you kind of get a bit resentful and you start to think, well, who's looking after me? I'm looking after all these people. Who's looking after me? And that's when you start to not care less, but perhaps look like you care less. Mm-hmm. So if a, if you have to deal with a patient who is clearly distressed and frustrated, where you would normally be calm and empathetic, you can sometimes become a bit more direct, a bit less empathetic. And, and the same with staff. You, yeah. you know, if you if you have a staff member who is struggling, if you're under stress and you're not dealing with it particularly well, you can lose your empathy because you've just you're just tired 
of looking after everyone else and being kind to everyone else. And I think that's a really important sign for us. And we we recognise that in our staff as a sign of stress. Mm-hmm. You know, we often listen to telephone calls with our staff. Sometimes it comes on the back of a complaint. Sometimes we just do it generally to see how things are going. And you can very much hear empathy fatigue. And I think when that happens, we just have to deal with that very quickly and sort of it shouldn't be about telling the member of staff you didn't deal with that call properly. It's about why did they not deal with that call properly? What has happened in the lead up to that to make them deal with that patient in that particular way? Because it's all too easy just to, you know, have a knee-jerk reaction and say, well, you can't speak to people like that. But there's a reason why. And I think there are so many issues facing our staff now, our frontline staff, you know, right across primary care. And people will say that things are getting worse rather than getting better. So what do you think the main issues are that our staff are facing at the moment? A lot of abuse from patients, which has, you know, escalated to an alarming level. We've seen in the news about... Properties that are getting damaged, we recently had a practice. A patient came in and the staff members ended up in hospital. Verbal abuse, we get a lot of that over the telephone and on reception. A lot of it's due to secondary care waiting lists as well. Patients cannot get in touch with the hospital, so they're ringing us, saying that they've you know been waiting 12 months for an appointment. But when we actually look at the waiting list, you know they can be waiting anything up to 18 months plus, And they feel that that's our fault, but it's not. I also think there's been quite a lot of sort of GP bashing in the media recently, whether that be social media or or sort of mainstream media. That can be really detrimental to the mental health of the people who are working in these environments because when you go on social media and you see people saying the GPs are sitting doing nothing, Mm -hmm. they're not seeing us, they don't care, you know, receptionists are just the dragons who hold the gate and all this kind of thing. You try not to take that on board because you know it's not true. However, when it's constantly on there, you do find yourself getting... You start to take it personally because you know it's not the case. And the number of times that I've started typing responses on social media and comments, we're halfway through, I kind of think, no, just take a step back because all that's going to do is lead to more people coming back and arguing with what you're saying. And it's, it's that sort of being able to... I suppose, first thing, not read the comments. That's always a good thing. Don't get involved in it. But also what I tend to do is put a lot of things on social media that are positive about general practice to try and counteract that negativity that's out there and try to help people understand what we're trying to do and actually how these comments affect us and our staff because it does have quite a serious effect. And I think that probably leads on to what Stacey was talking about with the increase in abuse both verbal and and physical. If the media is saying that doctors are doing nothing and we need to be doing more and people can't get appointments and you've got to ring in at eight o'clock and all of these sort of things, it sort of opens the gates for those people who think it's appropriate to behave in that way because, oh, well, the papers are saying they're terrible and therefore we can tell them they're terrible Mm -hmm. and we can do that in whatever way we like. And actually, no, you can't. And I think as a management team, we have to make sure we deal with that for our staff. We have to have their backs. 
And I think that was a question I was going to ask you, actually, because, you know, you are very well aware of these kind of issues. You're facing them every day, day in, day out. And I was going to ask, you formed this leadership team now that is working well together. How can you prepare yourselves and your practices for these issues? Can they be anticipated and prepared for? Yeah, I think we can. I think what we have to do is we have to try and understand why they're happening and then we have to address it before it happens. So we focus on communication and education. That's the key, is educating our patients so that they understand that this sort of behaviour is not okay. So we try to stop it before it starts. Mm -hmm. We've got a social media presence, which we try to sort of give patients information about what's going on. So, for example, during that time with the water, we spent a lot of time on social media and on our websites updating it so that patients had information and they understood. We have a patient participation group which meets on a regular basis and we, we use them to sort of try and get that message out into our community. We have patient surveys, so we try to get feedback from our patients to understand where their frustrations come from in order to mitigate that before it happens. Mm -hmm. If we understand what it is that causes this behaviour, if we can try and fix it before it happens, then it's less likely. And we also have facilities and training for our staff around wellbeing, so we make sure they are aware of what services are available to them. We're quite lucky in the NHS in that we have quite a lot of wellbeing services that our staff can access when they feel that they need it, and we will ensure that our staff have that information to access that in advance if they need to do that. And I would say, wouldn't I, that um, at the end of this podcast, we will put the link on for you to the health and wellbeing page of the Primary Care Excellence website because there are a lot of links there, not just to primary care, but right across the NHS and social care in Manchester. So you're right, we do have a lot of support for staff. So finally then, if you could summarise the things that you've learnt and that have proved useful to you both and your team colleagues in spotting the signs of stress and managing and building resilience, what would be the key points that you would want to make from your perspective as a leadership team? I'd say real listen to staff when they're speaking to you. Not even the slightest bit of behaviour changes. So if you notice that a member of staff is quiet or being a bit short, just pull them to one side and be like, are you okay? Sometimes I'll turn around and say, yeah, everything's fine, but they're really not. And it's just keeping an eye out just to see if anything else changes. Give them a bit of time if they need it as well. So if they need, you know, five minutes to walk away and just go and have a wander, a brew, whatever, just let them have five minutes out. We do get that quite a lot, especially on reception. We get staff that just need to take a little bit of time off reception. I think it's hard when you're on the reception desk because, you know, people can see you. So they can see your facial expressions, they can see your body language. If you notice that a member of staff is struggling, just say, do you want to go and have a break, you know, have a brew? I think that would really help as well. And build a team around you if you can, especially for managers. Like Debbie said earlier, it can be quite isolating. I've worked in where I work now and there has been times where before, you know, we built our management team where I felt a bit isolated. But now I've got a great team behind me. And before that, I'd speak to other practice managers as well. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of forums now. 
where we can meet up face to face and on teams so it's you know know your managers around you so you can get in contact with them if you are struggling don't be afraid to say I'm struggling yeah I think that's really important because I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast that are thinking, well, that's lovely, you've got that team, I don't have that, it's just me, I'm on my own. We've both been in that situation, haven't we, where we have been on our own, so we do know, you know, how they are feeling. And so it's really important to connect with the other practice managers around you, and there's lots of ways to do that. As Stacey said, we've got forums, you know, most of us are in PCNs now, so we will be in contact with other managers, use those other managers if you haven't got a forum in your area, build your own forum. If you haven't got a, a Teams group for your practice managers, build that Teams group around you. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You have to build that resilience. So if you're not as lucky as us and that you've got the people in the building, you have to sort of build that around you. There's the organisation, the IGPM, is another organisation that's been pretty recently set up. And they're another organisation where it's really good to sort of get in contact with managers that are doing a similar role, understand what you're going through and, and will offer support. So there's lots of organisations. These groups on social media as well, like mm-hmm. Facebook, we're a part of one, it's Practice Managers UK, yeah, I think it is. So we're a part of that and that's you can see other practice managers were really struggling and going through what you're going through and you're like, oh, right, OK, so it's not just me that's feeling like that. And then you can see the comments and not that it makes you feel good that other people are going through it, it just makes you feel like, it's not just me mm-hmm. that feels like that. You can see that there's 40 comments there and other practice managers are also feeling exactly the same. And it's just be kind to yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. <laughs> don't burn out because who's going to look after you if you burn out? Yeah. <laughs> you can only look after yourself. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point, being kind to yourself. And what I've found about our podcast today is that it's really interesting to hear about things from the management perspective all too often particularly in the NHS type environment managers are finger pointed as pretty damn useless they don't do anything they don't suffer all the stresses that we suffer either as clinicians or as frontline but actually you do and you play a really important role in making sure that the teams can deliver the service that we want to deliver and that our patients expect So can I thank you both for coming along today and sharing those points? I think for people listening, there's lots of really good little tips there about how to build that resilience team around you, even if you're not part of a team. And we will put some of those links on the website at the end of this podcast. So Debbie and Stacey, thank you both so much. Thank Thank you. In today's episode, we've had an opportunity to hear from frontline GP services within primary care and how the leadership team works together to share and support their teams and themselves in ensuring operational delivery for patients, regardless of the stresses and pressures I'm sure so many of you will recognise. We now have a broad set of podcasts in our series. If you've missed any of them, do go back and download them for free and we'd really love it if you could share them with your friends we want as many people as possible to hear the useful advice from all of our amazing guests and don't forget there's a wealth of information and advice on the primary care excellence page too all links are on the show page 
And if you're involved in a project you want others to know about, you can contact us via our social media options. Please do get in touch. The more we work together, the happier and healthier our workforce will be. This has been a Fresh Air production. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.